Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. Actually, going to last week we got uh, past that and we were right here. So I'm going to begin, and I want to. I know it's a longer passage, and I'm not going to stop and explain everything this morning because I want us to have some takeaways, especially in light of what I feel like the Holy Spirit was leading in in what Mansoor shared and what Lori shared for that one person. By the way, if that's for you or young people, lay your prayers around that word because I. I felt real strength in that, and uh, the the glories of the Spirit-filled church is we get that, not making weird stuff out of it, but we get to have that, and uh, a word of encouragement coming at the right time, oh man, you guys, it can be, uh, I don't live by that, but it can be a game changer, and just emotionally in your life, it can give you a... <gasps> So if you needed that, <clears throat> lay hold of it. And the way you lay hold of it is you pray for it. You pray the very thing that was spoken. So, and that includes healing, yes? Okay. Follow along with me. Paul continues in Romans 5. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin... And thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. It means they didn't, he didn't do exactly what Adam did, but he wasn't doing it right. Who is a type of him, that's an important verse, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. 
For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's probably 193 sermons in there. And that's a limited Lloyd Rendell's guesstimate. Seriously, there, there is so much packed in here. But there are some things I think the Lord would have us take away. This church body. This is for, I don't know, so other people are getting a lot of responses off the internet right now. People that are listening and then either sending me a little text or an email. And, uh, and that's great. But for this body right now, I think this scripture and, and what he wants us to take away is really important. Because he's explaining something of what we're going through. Um, in these verses, Paul is explaining the deep mystery of the divine exchange that happens between Adam and Christ, who Christ was in the beginning. This is such a strange story. We always associate Adam in the beginning, and then Christ comes thousands of years later. In the beginning was and the word Jesus was not God's response to Adam's failure. Though it applied to it. Jesus was in the beginning. The very idea when Jesus thought about you, and this is what Ephesians teaches, Ephesians 1 and 2, you were in God's thoughts before he was making creation. Now get your head wrapped around that one. That's why he can say earlier in this chapter, while you were an enemy, God loved you. While you were yet a sinner, he laid down his life for you. Because he was in the beginning before you were. He was in the beginning before Adam. And Adam was actually the type of God. He was made in the image of God. We struggle with this, one, over the argument of literalism. So let's move it a little bit away from that argument. Because especially in today's culture, um, people are finding a way of dealing with things in life by saying what they identify with and what they don't identify with. Yes? By the way, I think that's a grand, glorious opening to the gospel of grace in Christ. Because that's the same argument that people like Martin Lloyd-Jones says, I identify with Christ. I am a new creation. The old things have passed away. I'm brand new. Put it in Lloyd's language. I am no longer a homo sapien. I am now a homo Christian. 
I identify with Christ and Christ in me. My spirit has been changed. I'm born again, what the song says, into a family. So what's happening is Paul is using the idea of an exchange. My Adam-like nature being exchanged for the nature of Christ and who he is. One person for another person. It was this, it's now this. And with the but now of this, things are restored. Not in the future, they're restored when? Now. I'm not waiting to become righteous. I've been justified in life, he says here. That's stunning. It's more than the exchange of righting the wrong of humankind's deception and its fall into a pattern of lost relationship. It escaped us, and now we're working our way back to the garden. That was my generation. That was the hippies' view. Got to get back to the garden, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young sang. Listen, today, I am the garden. I'm not going back to the garden. I am the garden. I am the garden of God's delight. You are the garden of God's delight. That brand new little baby, the garden of God's delight. The rejoicing of the heart of understanding that. And it's all done and explained. Here's what we have to get out of this. This is a mystery, and it's tangible, and it's real. Adam was as real as his beautiful granddaughter. He could be touched. He could be felt. He was clothed, by the way, with great authority. He was involved with God in creation. We forget that. He was in relationship and partner. God's saying to him, you have a part in this. Look, name it. So he called it a skunk? What a weird name. But no, think of the authority. Now think of what this scripture is saying about reigning. To reign in life means to rule. To rule means you have to have authority. If you don't believe that you don't have any rule, you will never exercise your authority. That's what the deception was with Adam. He remained silent when the accuser came. Has God really said? And Eve engages with him, but Adam shuts his mouth. God does not want you to be silent. Actually, I believe with all my heart the greatest sin of Adam was silence. He shut up when God had told him, you're a big part of this, buddy. You get to partner with me as I create stuff. And you get to name I mean, think about the best part. You get to name it. I get to decide to call a horse a horse? Of course. <laughs> Unless, of course. No, I won't go there. Some of you would understand that. Most wouldn't. 
here's the, the thing. Looking at it as a metaphor, which remember, it's much deeper, but the idea of a metaphor that Adam, so that you can understand this passage of scripture for what you're going through right now. This is, Adam is a metaphor of what was. Christ is the metaphor of what is. Adam represents to us through the metaphor, a metaphor being, uh, it's a figure of speech uh, in which a word or a phrase or an idea literally denoting one kind of object or idea is used in the place of another to suggest a likeness. So Paul, brilliant Paul, goes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show them you know, and the Lord's unveiled. He spent 13 years in Syria in the mountains. And God starts unraveling this to him, starts showing it to him. And he starts explaining it to people by stuff that they know. Now, A.W. Tozer, in the knowledge of the holy, says this. Throughout all of scripture and in understanding faith, we use that which we know to describe and try and understand that which we don't know. You following me? That's the idea of metaphor. Paul writes about Adam in that way. But it's also tangible. It's very real. Adam was a real person and sin really happened through him and it got passed on to us. And Paul uses metaphor to start explaining that, not so that you can understand sin and Adam, so that you can understand Christ and his justification. One way leads to legalism. I have to understand what happened in Adam. Well, he blew it. What does that matter to me? It got passed on to you. That's not fair. That's right. Sin's never fair. Sin ever fair in your life? You ever pulled a, I didn't mean to do it? Of course you didn't. You said angry words and you're going, I, I really didn't mean that what I said. But you said it. And saying you didn't mean it doesn't escape the fact that it's not fair. Here's the thing. God used something else that wasn't fair to overcome the unfairness of sin. Grace. It's not fair. That's why you can't decide who deserves grace and who doesn't. Just like you can't decide what one person's sin is compared to another. Horrible thing to compare sin. Paul warned about it. He said, don't you, you guys are doing, comparing sin. Don't you know if you sinned against one part of the law? You sinned against the whole thing. We categorize them because we like to grade on the curve. We don't like any outie stuff. We want to gradually, I'm going to get better in my life, and I'm at a D right now, but it'll get better, and I'll get an A soon if I study real hard. Either You are either in Adam or you are in Christ. Adam.
Adam in his figure to represent our fallenness, the metaphor, the glorious thing is not that. Jesus is God's metaphor to you about your life. That means when God looks at you, when he looks at your innermost being, he sees his son. You have been recreated in God's image. The true image, not the broken image, not the fallen image, the true image of Christ is now your creation. It's your nature. We've spent most of our time fighting the Adamic nature, not recognized that there was a greater one that came in, just like happened in the beginning in the garden. Go read the story. Oh, but by the way, before the fall, Adam's authority, phenomenal. Just absolutely stunning, the authority that he had. Uh, it would take way too long today, and I, like I said, there's, there's way, there's way too, too much there. But if you were a C.S. Lewis fan, Going back to Genesis is like rereading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's all laid out there. And if you like that idea of fantasy and mystery, it's right there. It's such an incredible story. It's phenomenal. Here's this beautiful, probably the most beautiful woman that ever existed, if you could do any comparison, and gets deceived by a... I heard that. I'm just trying to get brownie points. It works. <laughs> yeah, next to Brenda, Eve was. No, by the way, Adam and Eve, you have to remember, they're the culmination and represent God's most excellent of creation. Because of what we have been taught and the things that we think about history we think Adam and Eve were like Java man, caveman, like, uh, 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 you know, uh-uh. No, they were not. They were beautiful in their creation. They were God's highest point of creation. They were stunning. He was brilliant. Brilliant. She was dazzling. It took his breath away when God brought her to him. She was identified as woman. It's actually in some Hebraic translations it's called my princess. He was stunned. Isn't that I, I, hope, I hope we get to see the movie when we go to heaven. I, I want to see that moment when when she starts walking up to him, you know, and there's the old pastoral language around it that he saw her and went, whoa, man, which is why they called her. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist that. Still got some preach in me. Sorry. Scripture going back to the garden 
is actually supposed to give to us is so that you can understand three things about receiving justification of life. You were meant to live. I want to read you just a, a short thing. Just from Martin Lloyd-Jones, from his exposition in Romans. And, uh, and this is, uh, he describes Romans 5 as the book of assurance. Isn't that grand? It says this, every one of us is either in Adam or else in Christ. That is why and how the apostle brings in this truth concerning Adam. The Lord Jesus Christ, he would have us understand he is the head of a new humanity. Jesus was called the first and the last. There is a new race of men. Oh, this is better than any fantasy story and any action superpower, superhero adventure they could ever come up with. As he says later in chapter 8, verse 29, Christ is the firstborn of many brethren. Indeed, the Lord Jesus Christ has introduced a new age, the new kingdom, a new order altogether. What Paul wants us to see is that as Christians, we are not only forgiven, we have become members of a new humanity, a new race. We are in Christ and because we are in Christ, we are in God, as it were. Members of the household of God and children of God. We sang that this morning. I couldn't believe it. I'm going, I'm going to read this in Martin Lloyd-Jones, and we're singing it right now. God is our Father in a new sense, and we are His children. Not only are we forgiven, we are delivered from the realm of sin and death and of wrath and of punishment. We are in a new realm of righteousness and joy and peace and life everlasting, which can never be destroyed and from which nothing can ever separate us. We are no longer under the reign of sin. We are destined to reign in life ourselves. Huge. Huge, huge, because that's your takeaway. Here's, here's the three things that we're supposed to get from this. I, I want to, and before we take communion, and uh, why don't we go ahead and, and start distributing that. By the way, there, there's, these are new little communion cups, so they have both the, the juice and the bread together, and you peel off the top to get to the bread first, and then the juice is underneath. So don't freak out when you get it, and that is just one thing. And parents, please help your kids if they're young and you want them to take communion on, on separating them. Because otherwise, we'll have wine spills. Spill the wine. No, never. Here's what you get. Verse 16. Listen, take this away from Romans 5. God is not out to get you. God is not mad at you. He's never been mad at you. He has loved you from the beginning. God was never mad at Adam. He sees bigger than that. So you have to, you have to take that away from this reading and go, 
wait, 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 wait. God's, God's not, like, he's not mad at me. When I was making myself his enemy, he died, he laid his, his life for me. And I wasn't righteous, I wasn't good, I wasn't worth having it laid down. The second is this. You, because you are in Christ, are meant to reign in life. The ability to rule. To not only have choice, but to actually have authority restored to us. This passage says that what Adam lost, Christ regained it. And through grace, that's what grace is, he gives you the gift of his authority. That's why we say things, and in the name of Jesus. Well, those aren't magic words. Those are the authority that you and I have that he gained through this whole thing he did. It's stunning of laying his life down. Adam, yes. Here's the, here's the metaphor. He gave his authority away, and when he did, he lost the relationship he had. When Christ restores the authority, what does he restore? The relationship that Adam, in the innocence before the fall, had with God. That's what's to be restored to you. That's why you can stand before God and say, I'm innocent before you. I'm glorious. I'm wonderfully made. I'm your I'm no, I'm not a slave to fear. I'm your child. I'm yours, God. I belong fully to you. And it doesn't matter what my own voice says, I still do. From Adam until the time of Christ, and even in your life, use the metaphor from your Adam until the time of your Christ. You were trying to be good in order to have a relationship with God. Now in Christ, you have a relationship with God in order to be good. I don't want to be bad. I want to be good. I don't want to do it wrong. I want to do it right. I don't want to blow it. Prone to wander. I kind of, I kind of don't like that old hymn anymore, you know, prone to wander. I'm not prone to wander. I'm prone to be in Christ. I'm his. He's got this. You're supposed to be a takeaway for you. And the third thing is this. Grace, remember what he says at the end of this, has ultimate authority. At your weakest time, call on God's favor. Don't tell him what he has to do. Call God. I pray right now that your grace would rule in this situation in my life. I pray that the abundance of grace would come and overwhelm all this icky stuff that's happening. Lean into it. Wrap, wrap yourself up in it. Grace conquers sin. Grace conquers choice. Grace is the operating system by which we have life for all eternity. You have 
literally been given, no matter which computer you are this morning, you were given a new operating system. We're all windows. As the group sang, you put a window in the sky so that you could know what love is. And the window is always open. And the breeze of heaven's always blowing. Nothing can take it away. So questions, just before we take communion and do this. This morning, this week, in your relationships, in your privacy, and in your publicness, where do you need grace to reign in your life? What little nasty seed issue keeps nagging at you and you just wish to death you could conquer it? Think through this, the authority to reign in your anxieties, your fears, your thoughts. I struggle most with my thought life. I don't often say it because I know better, but boy, when that person cuts me off on the road, the thing that goes through my brain is, is a jerk. You know, and then he has a little pastor sign on the bumper. It's my thought life. So that's where my fears come in. My anxieties are in my thoughts. They're not in my spirit. They're not in Christ. They're my thoughts. Where do I need grace to reign? In my thoughts. That's what he says in Ephesians 3. God already lives in it. He says, so that, he says, oh, I pray that Christ would dwell in your hearts. How? Abundantly, that you could comprehend with all of the things what is his height, length, and depth of the love of Christ. How about your choices and your attitudes? That's where I get it. This, my attitude stinks. I just get a stinky attitude, and then the whole day stinky. But if I yield that to Christ. With great authority, my attitude can change in a moment of time without doing that 97-second repentant prayer. You don't have to say you're sorry. Yield it to the authority of Christ. Hmm. Motives and perspective. Christ lives in you this morning.